We can't love everything. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. We cannot serve two masters, and we can't have more than one top priority. It turns out that love, likewise, is a zero-sum game. If we want to truly love people, then our love for things will take a severe blow. Pastor Jim will relate some personal examples. We've been reading from 1 John, as the Apostle has told us we can know some things for sure. Today we'll close that series with part three of the sermon, How Do I Know I'm Saved? Do you want to know that you're walking in the light? Do you want to have the confidence that you know Jesus Christ? You want to know for sure that you're born again? You want to know that you have the gift of eternal life? Then keep the commandments. Walk as he walked. Take your cues from his command. Spend time in his word learning what he expects, what he desires, and make those desires the passion and commitment of your heart. And when it comes to your relationships with your brother, that's talking about other believers, make certain that you have the best of intents, that you love, that you are concerned for the brothers and sisters. And the neighbor who is not a believer, we're told we need to love him too. And the enemy who seeks and plots your destruction, The unsaved boss who's trying to figure out a way, scheme a way to kick you out of your job, what should your attitude be toward him? Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, folks, if we're doing that, if we're doing that, it's a sure sign a sure testimony that God himself is working in our hearts because those things never come naturally. To hate, to kick, to get even, to be vengeful, to be envious, we don't need to be taught that. That comes very naturally. But to be in relationship with Jesus Christ And that relationship be so vital that what he commands you do, and as you do it, you experience his empowerment by his spirit to perform that, and he's promised to do that, and he will deliver. Your life will go through a transforming process. You become more and more like him, and in that transforming process, not only will you know that you know him, others will know that you know him too. John gives us warning there in verse 11. If we claim that we love the Lord Jesus Christ and hate our brothers, we're walking in darkness. And he says, he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Real danger in hatred because of what it does to the person who chooses to hate. Now, if this morning the name of someone, the memory of something has come to your thinking as we've been talking about these verses, that's the Spirit of God probing, bringing to your conscious attention things you need to confess, relationships you need to restore, 
attitudes you need to throw out. Jesus Christ did not save us and make us his own to sanctify our sin. He saved us to change us from being selfish sinners into being sons of God. And his likeness and his attitude ought to flow through us. Now, as John writes, he's aware of the fact that he has a divided audience. And that's what those verses are all about there, verses 12 down through verse 14. He says, I write to you children. I write to you young men. I write to you fathers. And what he's telling us is that, that there are degrees of spiritual growth and maturity. Uh, some may just be starting their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and they're overwhelmed. They're, they're like the little ones. And John says, if you're just new to the faith, I want you to begin by understanding that your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. That is, don't start with trying to work out your sins. Start your faith by believing and accepting that forgiveness of sins is what God does for Jesus' sake. Not because you try harder, not because you promise not to do it again, but God forgives you based upon Jesus. That's the fundamental, basic, beginning bedrock. And some of you here this morning are there. Some of you still struggle with the fact that as believers, you do sins, and you want to overcome that, and you want to overcome those habits, and your tendency is to begin to think it must be something I'm failing. I got to work harder. Got to try harder. Got to this, got to that. John says, no, 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 no. Look, look. Those of you who are just starting, those of you who are brand new believers, you begin by settling the fact that forgiveness is something God gives because of Jesus, not because of your works. And then a little later, he says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. And John wants the new believers to just get excited, just get excited about the privilege of having a personal relationship with God. You can now call the Creator God, Daddy. You can speak to Him in prayer. You can be sure that He loves you, that He's preparing a place for you in His home in heaven. You can be certain that He has overcome all the wickedness and the wicked ones around us. He's your Dad. He loves you. Just begin by enjoying, as a new believer, enjoying that fundamental truth I know God, God knows me, he's my father, he's looking for every way he can to demonstrate his love for me and to me through all of my life. He'll never forsake me, he'll never leave me, nothing can ever separate me from him. And when I sin, and I will, when I sin, and I will, and when I sin, and I will, he'll forgive me because of what Jesus did for me at the cross of Calvary. That's step one, see? And that's where some of you are this morning. Little children in your faith, you have not memorized Scripture. Some of you may have made a profession of faith, may have trusted Jesus Christ back when Billy Graham was here in, in, in Columbus in 1964. But you've not grown. You've been stunted, either frustrated by sin, frustrated by failure, frustrated by your, by your own ignorance of the Word of God, whatever. But, but, but you're, just, you're just babes. You're just little ones. In your faith, John says, start there. 
And then he talks to the young men. These are guys and gals that have had some experience in faith. And he, he describes the things that they have experienced. And he writes to them and he encourages them to go on. And then he writes to those that he calls fathers. I write to you fathers, verse 13, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you fathers, verse 14, because you have known him who is from the beginning. You know, I used to read that and that puzzled me. Because it seemed to me that, that John was saying that, uh, that the, little, the little ones and the strong young men were, were smarter, wiser, more virile than these fathers. Ah, uh -uh. no, no. What, what John is saying is that the goal of maturity in the Christian faith is coming to understand who God is. See, as new believers, we're concerned about our performance. We're concerned about our failures. After you've grown up in your faith, what you become concerned about is the Father. What does God think of this? What does it mean he was from the beginning? What an awesome God we serve. Well, there are young men here this morning, young women. There are tiny infants, and there are fathers of the faith. Don't know where you are this morning, and it's not important for me to know. John knew when he wrote these things in this letter that there would be different levels of understanding based upon your maturity. Don't be frustrated by where you are, John says. Just take the next step in your faith. And if you take the next step in your faith, move up to the next level. Make a deeper commitment. Resolve to trust God in new ways and to experience his power in new areas in your life. And he, by his spirit, will respond to your obedient faith and he will fill you up full and empower you and enable you to experience victory. And in that experience, develop maturity. And in that maturity, develop confidence. And John next, and with this we close, touches on perhaps the most common enemy of our faith. There in verse 15, do not love the world. Now, he just finished telling us that we're to love people, but we're not to love the world. Very difficult. The world is ever near me, around me, and within, the songwriter said. The world has to do with that system or arrangement of things that we call society. It's the way people have learned to manage their lives, people who do not know God. It's the values that they have embraced, the systems that they have adopted, the habits that they've developed uh, out of their ignorance of God. And John says, don't love that world. Oh, what a temptation. It's not just keeping up with the Joneses that John has in mind here, but it, it's, it's the inner attitude that is so permanent or so prominent in the world. Look at it with me. Do not love the world or the things in the world. What things are in the world? All the material things in the world. Don't love those things. 
if you let a car or a house or a dress or a membership or a job or a position to determine your worth or determine your value or determine your reputation, you're in trouble. Because the things of the world are transient. John says the world is passing away and the lust of it. It's like a kaleidoscope. It's always changing, always changing. And it will drive you crazy trying to keep up. About the time you get what you knew would give you great happiness and prestige, and bingo, that's no longer where it's at. Something else now has been put in the place. It drives you crazy. It's passing away. It eats your energy, consumes your strength, never satisfied. What is this world system? Well, verse 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that means seeking and fulfilling the desires of my selfishness. That's what that means. That's part of the world. Lust of the eyes, that means the whole ability to excite within me desires and envy by the things that I see and the arrangement of those things. And the pride of life. I love the translation that says, for pride of life, it says, boasting about one's accumulation or one's achievement. That's the idea. That's the idea. <laughs> I was uh, at a reception for a wedding here several weeks back. What I'm telling you is that I, I struggle with this just like you do. I was, I was at a wedding reception and friends from out of town had been here and they were commenting about how huge this auditorium is and how lovely the grounds are. And they said, how large is the membership there at your church? Well, I thought now if I tell them what the membership is, that's really not fair because the membership is so much. If I tell them how many people attend on a given Sunday, that's really not fair. So I'll just round it off. So I said, well, we minister on the weekends to somewhere around, oh, a little less than 10,000. <laughs> but I didn't laugh. I said, a little less than 10,000. Now, what was I doing? I was practicing the things of the world. That's what I was doing. I have no idea. I have no idea what the answer to the question was. But see, I wanted them to feel that I was very successful. I wanted them to feel that this church is very successful. And so I told them something that was true. We do minister to less than 10,000. <laughs> but what I was really doing was feeding my own personal ego. You ever have a problem with that? You want people to notice what you wear because it's in style. You want people to know where you live because it flatters you. What you drive because somehow you connect with that car. Several years ago when our neighbor discovered that we were having car problems, he brought over the keys to his gorgeous incredibly wonderful, marvelous, dark blue Corvette. 
I see you know what a Corvette is. This would have been maybe 20 years ago when the Corvettes really looked like Corvettes. And he gave me the keys and he said, here, I want you to drive the car. He said, uh, you need transportation, I don't need it, drive it. So I drove it for about a week and he said, uh, why don't you buy that car? I'll make it available to you at a very reasonable offer. And I said, how reasonable? And when he told me, I was stunned. I mean, absolutely stunned. He was indeed a good friend. So I said, well, let me think about it. So for two weeks, he let me think about it. Now, here's what happened. I would walk out of the house looking sane, like I do this morning. When I'd get to that car, I'd unlock it, I'd take off my coat. I'd loosen my tie. And if it didn't loosen right, I'd take it all the way off. And then I'd unbutton the top button. And by the time two weeks were over, I was unbuttoning the second button and third button. I'd pull up to the traffic light. I'd pull up the traffic light and I knew that people were noticing. I wanted them to know that I knew they noticed. Oh, you can see what was happening. You know, I even, I honestly even talked to my barber about changing my hairstyle. For the first time in my life, I was concerned that there might be a few gray hairs on the top. Now, what's, what, what gives that car that kind of power? I do. I do. I was molding myself after the world, being drawn into the trap of letting that world dictate and wanting to appear important. Sexy, racy. Now, maybe you don't have those problems, but as I watch you, I know you do. What was your golf score this week? Well, it was close to 50. How close? Why does it matter? You see, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, is not advice for Christians who are so carnal that they're compromised. It's advice for Christians who need to know that they know they are in him. That's the whole point. And if you are caught up in the world, the love of the Father is not operating in you. And it's the love of the Father that will change our lives. Our Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for uh, this wonderful book of 1 John. We close our contemplation of it with a sense of disappointment. So much here for us to learn. Thank you for your desire that we know that we have eternal life, that we know we have passed from death unto life, that we know that we are in Jesus Christ that we know the spirit of error and the spirit of truth, that we know it is the last time, that we know you want us to be confident believers, knowing for certain that our life is hid with Christ in God. Lord, as we take these tests to our hearts, may we be willing to apply them severely, and honestly.
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I gotta ask you, are you sure you're born again? Or is your faith just so much talk? Are you living in reality when you say, I am a child of God? Or are you just wishing out loud? God wants you to know now. And he wants your life to exhibit a transformed power by the presence and operation of the Spirit of God within God doesn't want you wishing, hoping, dreaming, guessing. He wants you to know that you're saved. If you know that you're born again, are there some commandments of Jesus Christ that you've been ignoring? Rules of the house that you've been bypassing? Are you willing to trust that God knows what he's doing? that he loves you and he has your best interest at heart? And are you willing to submit to his right to order your life? If we can help you with those things, we'd be delighted to do so. Our Heavenly Father, may we, in our own private lives, revisit John soon, often, May these probing exams show us where we're soft, where we're disobedient, where we're flirting with failure. And may we be willing to pursue the instruction and correction that we might walk in righteousness and truth. Oh God, please don't let us be such bad advertisement for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that friends would see us living out compromised faith and conclude that they don't need it. Help us to live lives that are vibrant and full of your strength and love and truth. Dismiss us now to think on these things, to share, and to become like Jesus Christ. We pray in his name and for his glory. Amen. John was sounding a bit like James when he wrote, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. If we don't care that much about God or others, it's legitimate to ask, Have I really been born again? The sermon we ended today is called, How Do I Know I'm Saved? And it closes our lightning fast series, We Can Know Some Things For Sure. If you'd like to have the individual message on CD, we'll send that to you for a gift of $7 or more. And for your offering of $15 or more, you'll get the three-disc album. We're praying that God will use these programs to change the lives of people in Ohio and New Zealand and all over the world. If you'd like to increase your impact for the gospel in these last days, Think about supporting this ministry. And thanks to everyone who's already helping. Call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Or mail Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. And point your browser to rightstartradio.org. 
There you can select past radio programs to revisit or play or download Jim's sermons in their entirety. You can bring new radio shows right to your phone by signing up for the Right Start podcast. Hit that on iTunes link. You can contribute on our site and even email us. But if you're hoping for more junk mail or more spam, you'll be disappointed. Please visit rightstartradio.org soon. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The book of the Bible we're heading for next is deep, it's powerful, and there's some controversy about its authorship. It's the letter to the Hebrews. Let's open it together on Wednesdays, Right Start. Right Start.